Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's going on, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. This week, Sydney is back, back from a fairly triumphant Gen Con where she got to place in the top four. And we're excited to hear some lessons learned from that, hopefully. We never know. And uh, we also brought a new guest, um, someone that uh, is a compatriot for me and I've never met or even spoken to before, but seen in our Discord aplenty, and that is uh, Murph. So Murph, welcome to the podcast. Yes, hello. Thank you so much for having me on. It is, it is such a pleasure to get to meet you know, the second Canadian Keyforge content creator. That is uh, that is an inspiration for me. Well, and, thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's a pleasure to be on. I'm big fan of the show. Big fan of both of you, and uh, very happy to be here. Well, thank you so much. And Sydney, how are you doing this week? Oh my gosh! So I'm just still coming off of the high of uh, placing top four at Gen Con, and um, it's just crazy to think that like Roseville is this coming weekend, and so like I'm already like, what am I gonna do next? Am I gonna play the same pod? And like I didn't expect to say play the same pod at Gen Con that I did at Philly. So like Keyforge, it never stops. It just it just never stops. Amazing! I love that. There is not much on the news front as we record this, but based on Ghost Galaxy's current timeline, I'm sure something will drop between uh, when we record this <laughs> and when this releases. It seems to be the trend. So um, uh, don't think that we overlook that. We are just not on the same timeline as Ghost Galaxy, which is totally fine. But Sydney, why don't you uh, let our listeners know what we do have going on today? Awesome. So a uh, couple of things. One is our Ask Me Anything, our AMA questions are now closed. We officially closed them yesterday on Sunday the 13th. And so you are hearing this uh, after the 14th. So we are going to record our episode based on a lot of those questions, but we also are going to announce another winner of our giveaway. These are, we're getting near the end here. These are our last named decks. So we have a named deck to give away at the end of the episode. And uh, yeah, those are, those are the two things we have on the docket. But I want to talk to you, Murph, because you are a huge member of this community. Everybody knows you. You're on almost every Discord that I've I've seen in existence, and you're just you're you're so involved. So why don't why don't you start by introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and and maybe what got you into KeyForge. Well, thank you very much. I, I I'm very flat. It's a very flattering introduction, and uh, hopefully the reason everyone knows me is a positive thing and not a <laughs> negative thing. <laughs> I do try my best to uh, be active on as many Keyforge discourses as I can be and really engage with the community just as a sort of a, well, you know, because I'm a content creator and, you know, put my face up there. I'm also a very opinionated Keyforge player. Nice. And I think, uh, you know, it's a lifestyle game. game, So it's it's something that we, uh, that I really enjoy engaging with. And the community is awesome. So like there's, there's rarely ever a downside to engaging with the community. Totally. Very true. So what what did get you into Keyforge? What what made you start playing? How long have you been playing? That's a wonderful question. So I started playing in September of 2021. Oh. So I started playing during the hiatus. It was actually my so I've sort of had a bit of a history of card games. Cool. I played I uh, mostly Yu-Gi-Oh. I played a little bit of Magic the Gathering, uh, mostly sealed stuff on Arena, so like not really in person play. Um but you know, big fan of Yu-Gi-Oh as a kid. I uh, was sort of into it during the, um, oh, I can't remember what year it was. I think it's like probably 2018, 2017. I sort of got into Panda Play because the, the meta at that point was really fun. Um, 
And then sort of the problem with Yu-Gi-Oh is it's very overwhelming sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of looking for a card game that sort of that spoke to me and like really hooked me. And I hadn't really found one. I started playing Flesh and Blood after I started playing Keyforge, mind you. Ah. Um, But that's also a game that I play. But I started playing Keyforge because a friend of mine who worked at a local game store, uh, the local game store that runs the Keyforge Locals, was like, hey there's this game that they run every Monday nights at the, at the store that I work out. Would you be interested in learning it? Nice. So I said, yeah, sure. Like I'm down. And so the first game I ever played was actually on the crucible online. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's cause like, they were like, cause it was basically like, um, it was, you know, it was pandemic 2021. So like there was still a lot of COVID restrictions. And so it was, so it was like, so they're like, Hey, like if you, we can play a game online. If you're, if like the game, if you're at all interested in the in the in like continuing the game like we can meet up and and play the game nice and, like, you know, with the actual physical cards um and so like they they lent me a deck that i played there and i was like okay i was i was intrigued enough you know i was like the tco interface was a little bit hard to get into i was sort of like confused sure. as to some things that were going on and so we did that and i was like okay i'll, I'll try it you know like i will try and we can go and to the game store so we went over they had some went to a game store they had some free table space and we played for, I think, two hours. Nice. Maybe two, two and a half hours. And it was like, I, I they gave me a 64, I don't know what it is now, but it was a 64 SAS Worlds Collide. Um, and it had like Shrix, Brockus, Untamed, some discs like with Hecatomb and like Misery Exploit and stuff. It was a really cool deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of, I played this deck, you know, multiple times. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, it, the game hooked me almost immediately. Like I actually, like slinging the cardboard really hooked me. And the fact that the unique deck aspect I think speaks to the childhood Yu-Gi-Oh anime fan that I am where it fulfills the sort of Yu-Gi-Oh anime protagonist dream of sort of having like signature decks and decks that are unique to you and getting able to play with and use make cards that maybe aren't the most efficient or else like if you're constructing deck, you're going to put it in, but like sort of maximizing what your deck can do. Sure. So the unique deck aspect spoke to me yikes it was such a pure answer to what i wanted as a card game player that's more so than deck building something that pulled you in yes the lack of deck building is something is it uh, pretty much exactly what pulled me in because that's um, what pulled me into keyforge was i was tired of not only building decks but also it's funny that you talked about Yu-Gi-Oh with the uniqueness and all that because um we all know any deck building game there's very little uniqueness for the most part because everyone is choosing a meta and things they find online and just constructs that with maybe uh like a few cards different but for the most part it's essentially the same deck like they have archetype names and people use them but keyforge that not being a thing was super appealing to me yeah and i mean like i i recently released a archetype video right sort of broke down my nordic keyforge league seasons 19 20 lineups um where i broke down each deck and every all there's five decks in the six of the six decks and they're all what i would consider board decks like every single one of them but it wants to be a board deck mm-hmm. they're all entirely different in how they execute those game plans that's so interesting. and it's sort of just like and it's 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 why archety- archetypal discussion in keyforge is so muddy because mm. there's so many different ways decks operate and the, because of the card pool and like you can't change cards in there you know i have a deck that has mind over matter in it and that is a card, it's a rare that I think we're, archives all creatures in play. Mm. So, like, you archive your opponent's creatures, you archive your own. And generally, like, it's mostly a discard because right. it's not a very good card most of the time. 
you know, I don't want to archive my opponents in France, but because I'm forced to play this deck and it has Mind Over Matter in it, I have found avenues in which Mind Over Matter is like, oh, this is actually really helpful in this specific example. Like um, playing against a deck like Caruso, like Dave sees Caruso, where he's re- re- recurring the E-Dies. If I Mind Over Matter the E-Dies into the archive, it resets all their progress. Absolutely. Mm. That's so like stuff like that is or like big starting boards if i don't have targeted c for the ludo i can just archive them all and get all that amber and you know that's nullified so like it's really it's just really cool and really satisfying to me as a card game player to find the avenues in which these suboptimal cards can be used in a really impactful way so it sounds like you're forced to play it so therefore you don't have a choice but to suddenly come upon oh wait this instance this is now going to be effective where i originally thought this was an auto discard i like that yeah. that, that is a great part of keyforge is learning the the nuances of cards that you would do and i think the more interesting thing is when you get set like you start playing a lot set versus set sealed things like that that's how you mainly see things but then as you bring it out into the wild you suddenly go oh going against aoa or against mass mutations or now against whoa, it's like suddenly this card has a different value than it had ever before, which is, I think, the most interesting part of Keyforge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so yeah, that's how I got into Keyforge was my friend introduced me to it. Um, and sort of I, I, at the time I was hooked in the game and, um, you know, I have some stints of, you know, maybe hyperfixation on hobbies. Sure. I'm there. But <laughs> but this one, sort of, I was ravenous for Keyforge content. It's also how I got into Keyforge con- making Keyforge content. I was sort of like, you know, I wanted to consume as much Keyforge stuff as I could, play the game as much as I could, um, you know, go to my locals, and finding out, like, the podcast, like, Call of Discovery was the first podcast, Keyforge podcast I discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, listening to that, listening to Help from Future Self was pretty close along there and then sort of getting into online leagues uh, one of the things that i wanted to i wanted to consume was keyforge gameplay and you know specifically like of like league i wanted to see what the different formats were how they played you know how people approached them and also like what does tco gameplay look like because obviously it was a sort of new interface for me and i didn't have enough experience for it and i didn't see any of that at the time like there wasn't enough of it for me to consume and so that was one of the reasons why i started making content for two reasons because i was like well i'm gonna record i wanted to get better i'm a competitive player um you know if i record my own videos the easiest way to do it was to stream it and then export it straight from twitch to youtube because i didn't have a great laptop all the time that could handle (laughs) sort of the video processing um and doing that eventually i was like well i could just make these public like why not and so yeah i eventually started advertising my stream advertising my youtube and putting out the content that I personally wanted to watch into the ecosystem because I I recognized a gap there. And I'm so glad, like, there's lots of people, there's lots of people that have come since um, and have, like, really flushed it out. And there's, now it's like a, it's not a, it's not a saturated space, but there's more bodies in it, which is really, really good to see. So that is how I both got into Keyforge and how I got into content creation. It sounds like you really like the like original reason that that Keyforge was created. You like like the fact that you can't change anything in a deck and like opening it and playing it sealed and learning everything a deck can do. So is that can you can you tell us a little bit about um, Kagi and what what that is and and how how that came to be? Yeah, so Kagi is a adaptive best of three league. 
And so it was started by Fighting Maloon. And I think we're on, we just wrapped up the pot, like the, like the main, the main part of Kagi 8.0. So there's been eight seasons run of it so far. Hold on, hold on. before and, you go any further, you have to say what Kagi means. Yeah, I, you can't get yeah, ahead I was of that. Get, I won't get ahead of that. So okay. Kagi is K-A-G-I. It's an acronym. Um, you can, I, you can, you know, if you want to type it out, you can, you can capitalize any of the letters you want. Typically it's written all caps. <laughs> Um, but Kagi, this is for after this. Kagi stands for Keyforge as Garfield intended. Where <laughs> there's a great quote. I love it. There's a great quote by Richard Garfield, and you know people have taken some umbrage with the name because they think you know sealed is what Richard Garfield intended the game to be. I get that. Um, for t- outside of right. sealed, though. There's a quote that's at the top of the league document for for the Kagi that says, this is from Fighting Walloon, so I can't take credit for this. This is Fighting Walloon, quoting Richard Garfield, but it's, I often like picking a deck and trying to win with it, rather than picking a deck with the best chance of winning. And I think adaptive is that, right? I mean, like you can bring any deck functionally to adaptive and have a chance to win sure. with it. And so it's, for me... I think adaptive does embody the spirit that spirit of Keyforge of you know I can bring a I could bring a forty sass clunker, right? Or I could bring you know a ninety eight sass heater, and both have a reasonable chance of winning that match. Mm-hmm. It's how so, well you know a deck and how much a unique deck is unique to you and and how much you've explored it and and how well you are playing against it too. Exactly. Yeah. Because I think you know. Um, Kagi best of three is, is, is not Kagi, but adaptive best of three is such a nice format because it, you know, people often complain about two dead games at the beginning. Cause it's, you know, to, to see if you even need one. Although there's some interesting stats on that we covered on our, the bottom of the beaker episode that I just, I did last week. However, with the first two games, it's, it's the second game where you swap decks and it's reversal. Cause if people don't know what adaptive is because it's not an official format anymore, but if people That's don't know true. what adaptive is, so adaptive is you play an Archon game, and then you play a reversal game, and if the same deck won both of those games, then you go to a, a third game where you bid chains on the deck that won those, on the deck that won both games. And then you sort of pass it back and forth until one of you passes and says, you know what, you can have it for that amount of chains. And then you play that game chained and see who wins. And then whoever wins that third game wins. If you win, if the same player wins two decks, two games in a row, so like they win with their own deck and your deck, they're just the winner. And when you're playing that second game and you swap decks, it's almost like you're playing with your own deck because they're a double agent, right? You know how that deck operates. And, you know, you're basically, because how you win an adaptive 2-0 is essentially you have to be able to maximize your deck's strengths and then completely exploit your deck's weaknesses in the second game. Absolutely. Because that's how you're going to win an adaptive match 2-0. Sometimes there's luck, right? This is Keyforge. There's always luck involved, but it really is. You do have to know your deck and how to win against it and and win with it. So what is what is one of the things that you you've learned now that you've had so many seasons of Kagi and a lot of people have been playing in it and you you've basically now brought multiple different decks to to Kagi like what 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 is some of the takeaways from from your league? Um, lots. I think the I think the biggest takeaway for me is that Kagi is su- uh, 
I mean, Kagi, it's just an adaptive league. So adaptive as a format is, I think, the most accessible format there is that isn't sealed. Sealed, obviously, you know, is the most accessible because everyone just opens this, opens the deck and whatever. But I think adaptive is such a beautiful thing because it's it's just, you don't need a big collection. You don't need super strong decks. You just bring a deck that you like to play, you know really well, and you can do well with it. And, you know, there's there's also arguments made about what makes a good adaptive deck, and there are adaptive decks that I think, personally, I think lean more into doing well in the environment. But still, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing. It's the best way, if you're trying to learn a deck, adaptive is the best way to learn a deck. And that is, I think, um, hands down my opinion on that, because seeing the deck played by someone else is so eye-opening because they will they're not the same player as you they don't have the reps on it you know i as players we get very you know we find what works and then we sort of oftentimes stick with it yeah we stick with it we fall into a rut and we keep with it whereas if a new fresh eyes is playing with the deck sometimes they they really illuminate lines you never never would have seen even in a thousand plays and so to get such a unique perspective on the deck through someone else is uh, is so valuable if you're trying to learn the deck. Absolutely. So have have you played a lot of adaptive games in person? I have played some. I think it's more of a product of my locals mostly just running Archon rather than anything else. Just, you know, people wanna people are coming out for three hours on a Monday. They just sort of want to jam some games rather than, you know, sit down for a league sort of thing. Sure. Um Unfortunately not. I would like to, but it's more just a limitation of space and time for people. So you you mentioned earlier that you got into the game during the pandemic. What was your first set? Like, what was the first um, deck that you? What set was the first deck you received from? So the first set, the first set I received a deck from was Worlds Collide. That was the deck my friend introduced me with. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the first set you bought? The first that I bought was, so I, when I went to the local game store, I bought an AO, a single AOA deck and a Dark Tidings two-player starter set. Ooh. Okay. So I was actually, when I was there, I was kind of like, because they had MM starter sets as well. Um, but like, and like some of the people were like, yeah, you know, maybe you shouldn't get a Dark Tidings two-player starter set. And I'm so glad I did. I really <laughs> am glad I did. Um, because like the World's Collide deck was really fun. Um, but the Dark Tidings decks were, were really hooked me into the game. And why is that? Uh, why is that? It's because of now I got very lucky, I'll be honest. And so that was a deck that speaks to me so like uniquely me as a player. It's a deck I actually bring frequently in Kagi and have lots and lots of success with. So I was really lucky when I opened my two player Dark Tiding set because one of the decks in there was the Crude Soothsayer Judge, which is a deck Sydney is very, very familiar with. Yep. Um and it is still to this day it my best, if not one of my best decks. And it is a deck that I could feel playing it as a new player. I didn't win with it for a long time. Like Whoa, I Oh really? Yeah, I could not it was just like I could feel it. You know, as a as a player, I could feel that it had things going on. And I just I wasn't unlocking them. That's crazy. It's so funny you say that because watching you play with that deck is just magic. Like, and that's the kind of thing where once someone's watching you play with it and seeing all the things happen, you could be like, oh, that's easy. Or like, I could do that, you know, but like the kinds of things you need to do to figure that out in the first place. I'm, I'm just, I'm just impressed. 
Yeah, and it's it's definitely a signature deck for me at this point. Um, and that's proven itself in Kagi, where I went undefeated this in Kagi 8.0, playing that deck for five of the games. Um, I think in Kagi, I am undefeated with Judge wow. so far. Oh, nice. Um, I and I didn't it. bring it for a while because I was like, well, this deck's too strong. Because <laughs> mm. it really is an Archon Solo deck. If I went to, I had a good chance of going to Philly, it would have been the deck I played there. Oh, yeah. So it's it just, and it really speaks to me. Um, as a player, it's a Dark Tridents combo deck that has United Action and just lots of fun ways to use it. But that one, and then I opened an Evil Twin as well. Cool. Oh, that's a fun introduction. Which is a really fun. I didn't know what it was. I just thought, man, this Archon art looks so cool. Just a weird deck. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I had no. I had no idea what an Evil Twin was, but I did know that the Archon art looked absolutely incredible because it was. A, it's a red Evil Twin, so it's like the black and red. It's like a, and it's mm. like a little bit of spider Archon. So I've actually united that Evil Twin with its good twin. Oh, that's awesome! So I have the Evil Twin of the Doctor of Floodbrook and the Doctor of Floodbrook, which is awesome. Oh, that's so cool. Um, that is such like a chase thing that only a few people in the world can say that they've done. Yeah, and like I waited so long to get that little evil twins sing, sing, uh, symbol on Dex of Keyforge so I could click it and <laughs> see who owned that deck. Um, and so thank you, Next Gen Gaming, who I was able to work it out with to to get that. But so it was those two decks, which are so much fun. Like I love Dark Tidings as a set. I'm a big Dark Tidings fan, as I think I'm very vocal about it. DT is the best set. That's my, you know, DT best set's sort of the catchphrase of the channel. <laughs> and it's just, I love what it's doing. It feels so cerebral. Sure. Like, I, I really, really enjoy the effort it takes to make the decks work. So as someone who during the pandemic was the the least amount of new Keyforge I played because once we once we went on to TCO, I didn't actually acquire too many new decks. I wasn't playing in person, so I wasn't playing more sealed. So I actually, I didn't get into Dark Tidings as much and I have played quite a bit of it now since, uh, since we've been playing in person again, but I don't actually, my collection of it is the smallest of all of my sets. So what would you tell someone like me about Dark Titans to get me excited about it and like wanting to play it? Yeah, so I think for me, the thing that makes a set so wonderful is all the small synergies that go on to make a deck good. Like there's not, a lot of Dark Titans decks, they're not flashy. Like, you look at the deck list and you think, this deck sucks. (laughs) (laughs) But then if you play it, and you you can't even play it once. Like, you can't even play it once. You've got to play it, like, three, four times. And then you can start saying, oh, okay, I see now. It is such a a wonderful feeling of discovery, getting to learn these Dark Mm -hmm. Tiding decks and seeing, like, oh, I see. If sort of, like, I start focusing on this and I start, like, maybe hand-shaping into this sort of house and I sort of, like, you know, build toward this game state, I can start doing really cool things. Totally. I 100% agree. And it's, like, that part of the set and, like, the it's... I know, like, some people don't like the effort. I love the effort. Like, I love having to work. I love AOA, too. And this is... It's for similar reasons. Like, they're my two favorite sets and it's because I really enjoy working to get the most out of my decks. You okay, really I, have to, do. I have to jump in here with this because I have some things I want to talk about today around this. And the um, 
I think Dark Tidings will be viewed like AOA, but I don't think it will catch on like AOA because of the lack of product that will end up getting opened over time. So the reason, if you look at AOA, I think AOA is in its heyday right now. Like right now, because there is so much AOA that exists and people are now finding how it works and seeing, oh, AOA is the perfect alliance. Yes. Like, base point to go off of because the way you have individual things that are so good and then other things that are not so good that you don't like. And so you're able to now sculpt these AOA decks together like you have done, Sydney, and make these these great things. But you needed a lot of AOA to find the pool that you can pull from. And then with sales during the pandemic and now just sheer amount of time that it's it's existed and was printed for, like I think it's the most printed set that we had because we had a long run of between Coda from, to AOA to Worlds Collide where it was in super high demand because Coda was over and then AOA came out as the next thing and it's just what people played and it was in the heyday mm-hmm. of Keyforge. So there's the most of it in existence where Dark Tidings is like I call it, it's the lost Keyforge set because yes. it was basically existed when for all intents and purposes we can say fantasy flight games was basically on the way out of keyforge and it's like well we already have this so we might as well put it out is really what that seemed like i will say yeah. that one of the when i was demoing or when i was doing demo giving demos of keyforge at gencon and if you demoed you got a deck the deck that you got was dark tidings I am under the impression that there is still a lot of dark tidings left that Ghost Galaxy is is attempting to disseminate and make available to people. And so a lot of people who just got into Keyforge for the first time at Gen Con went home with a dark tidings deck. I will say, though, I don't think dark tiding is the best set to hook you into the game necessarily, because if you're someone who's not willing to, like Murph said, to play it a bunch of times, if you need, like going off of your first play, you may not actually get the hook you need to be like, oh, I really like this because I completely agree with everything you said about dark tidings. It takes some time to play and figure it out. Uh, There's little nuances that you may not get. The whole aspect of the tide actually is very clunky for just playing Keyforge for the first time and missing it and things like that. Like, oh yeah, I got to raise the tide. Like those moments as a new player are so real. Like I remember in our game store when we started playing, we basically created a rule that you could like be patient with each other forgetting the tide. Like if you forgot the tide and you have not gone forward, then you can then go like, oh, sorry, I forgot to do the tide. Let me do the tide and then do this action. If like you literally just say you did it, but the tide wasn't raised, you can be like, oh yeah, I need the tide to be raised. You just do it, like do the action because we wanted everyone to get used to that mechanic and to punish someone and not see how a deck actually plays optimally. You're just like, this deck isn't good because you never got to actually play it to its full potential. Yeah. And there's so much nuance with Fading the Tide and Dark Tiding sex where it's like, when is it worth it? When is it not worth it? Mm-hmm. And you're right. I mean, it's also, I think it's interesting because I'm glad Dark Tidings as a set exists because we need sets for all types of players. Mm-hmm. If my first set was Coda, having played it, I would have dropped the game. Sure. Like, I, I find Coda don't, boring. Yeah, I find Coda very boring. And I guess no, like, there's no notch to the people who like it, um, but it's just not my personal playstyle. So I also I think, think like, that the introduction of Keyforge. So I think whenever you come into the game, you're going to have an affinity to the set that was most prevalent during that time. So if you came in when Coda was just being released, you're going to have this 
nostalgia, emotional connection to the set. Same way you're having this connection to Dark Tidings. My my best friend who I play Keyforge with, Dark Tidings is the set that he really started playing Keyforge. And he's like you, he, he's obsessed with it. Like I have a display that I'm not going to just open. Like I save it for when I play Keyforge with him and we can just do seal because I don't, like I want to be able to enjoy that with him because he loves it so much and he's good at it, like really good with Dark Tidings. Like it's dumb how good he is. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, no, it's and, and like it's interesting too because like obviously Dark Tidings was the newest was the newest set at the time, which is also part of the reason why I bought it. Right, I wanted the newest mm-hmm. set. Um, but MM is by far the most popular set at my local yeah. game store, and like everyone's like, buy a buy an MM two player starter set. Like, don't buy a Dark Tidings starter set. I was like, oh, I'm gonna buy a Dark Tidings. I'm gonna buy a Dark Tidings starter set. Um, <laughs> and you know, like. Even though I was losing a lot playing the Kuzu Sir Judge, I was having a blast. That's important so, too. Like yeah. the fact that people can have fun playing a set that maybe like if you the first thing you see isn't that it's overpowered. If you can have fun playing the set, like that's why a lot of people still love AOA. Like AOA was one of my favorite things to play because of the the logos and the crazy like interactions and the combos that you could do in logos with the archiving and like putting it into archives, playing it from archives and and archiving the top thing of your deck. Like it's just, it was so much fun. And I think Dark Tidings has a lot of that too, where if you get the combo right, it just, the reward is so high. It feels good yeah. to after that within a game yeah absolutely so i'm a huge lover of uh dark tiding shadows it's i think my absolute most favorite form of shadows and i will fight anyone who feels differently like that's how strongly i feel it yeah. is so much fun it's a board based shadows like that that's why i feel like you you establish a board with it and if you don't answer all those elusive creatures you are in trouble it is so much fun yeah like jackie tar very valuable yes like yeah. Jackie Tar, Hobnobber value is crazy. The shadows actions in Dark Tidings are such high value across the board. Like I think I think it's besides basically Team TP isn't in there, and beyond that, besides like that one card, I think it's like pound for pound the best action cards we've seen out of shadows. I would agree. I'd hundred percent agree. And on that note, I want to talk about Dark Tidings in Alliance, because it is something that doesn't really exist. So Sydney, I'm going to defer to you here. How many Dark Tidings Alliance decks are you aware of that have been at high-level tournaments? Zero. That's I'm a, holding up That's a zero. goose egg she's holding up there. Okay. <laughs> so so. I've, I've had people like... I've conjectured about it with people because like when, when Alliance first came out and like people were, were coming up with ideas before the ban list existed, they were coming up with ideas that like, oh, this will break the game. This is going to fail as a format. And so on the ban list is United Actions because people were talking about it in Worlds Collide. But people have entirely and completely forgotten that it's in Dark Tidings and it is effective. Like when you said that your that judge has United Actions in it, I was thinking to myself, well, that is a that is the kind of thing that will do really, really well in Alliance that nobody's talking about. And there's no stealth mode or science officer Morpheus, right, which is exactly. the best thing because I got to say the ban list hurts because I have so many pods I love, but it's like the pod is the way it is and it has those three cards and I can't do anything about it. And now I can't use it because three of the cards are commons basically and show up so frequently in together. So I'm literally just like my deck is burnt, like my concept because of this. And I'm not even using this deck for one of those pieces, but it right. just burns it. So I love that united action and these other things exist in um the star i think star alliance dt yeah. is incredible like the way you can house cheat it's not like 
worlds collide, which was really in your face. Like you're getting smacked in the face with like how easy it is to house cheat. Right. You got to be very creative and you have to sequence so carefully in Dark Titans because you can mess it up like very, very easily. And you can also optimize like the room for growth with optimizing your Star Alliance house cheating in Dark Titans is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And like I have um, I have a 62 I might be lower now because of the SAS update, but I think it's like a 62 SAS Dark Tidings deck that I play casually and like on the competitive queue and TCO, and it just smacks Worlds Collide decks all over the place, like 90s, 80s, like highly rated Worlds Collide decks because like it's a it's a really big board based Star um Star Alliance Sanctum um logo deck, and it just like mm. has like two diplomatic guns. And then it's got like a bunch. It's just like so much board-based house cheating. Yeah, and it's just like their inferences don't matter. So Murph, as someone who plays Dark Tidings competitively, how does the tide like weigh into that? Like, is the tide actually a a huge effect on the opponent? Like, are you raising it a lot for your own cards to the point where they have to take chains to lower it for their benefit, or is it more the value of the tide does not affect your gameplay? So generally, the value of the tide does not affect the gameplay. Really? Okay. Yeah. I think there are certainly some archetypes within Dark Tidings that really want the opponent to respond to the tide. Mm-hmm. And there are some incentives to do that. Like Hydro Catalog is a big one, right? Like if you have Mecha Buoy and Hydro Catalog and all those sort of things, and you have Tide Raisers, there can be real incentives for your opponent to take the tide and also you rewards for yourself to take the tide. Um, I... The decks that I play typically, like most of my decks, don't have many tide raisers. Sure. And you know, sometimes there's a really high impact card like Submersive Principle, where you know what, three chains for that, I'll take it. Sure. Take it, worth it. There's also times where it's like, you know, Submersive Principle, I'm not taking the tide. You know, like some yeah. of the decks, like they don't care if the tide's neutral for the entire game. Right. Um. And like typically, just because like Dark Tidings isn't very prevalent as a set in competitive, decks are sort of free to reign on having control over it, which is Absolutely. a real boon to like so many Dark Tidings decks that I think people go overlooked because a lot of people's experience with Dark Tidings was playing it sealed. And Dark Tidings sealed is can be really grindy in a way that's mm-hmm. not always fun just because of like tide wars and they're not being enough tide raisers in a lot of decks and then on top of that so like you're chained and then like it's board right. based it's a board based set generally and so it can get really grindy so i get that i think the equivalent to that is in in aoa like i found that people don't like sealed aoa as much because of repate and then when that started happening in dark tidings with draw hate i feel like Sets that are based on preventing your opponent from doing a basic aspect of the game are really hard to enjoy in sealed. Yeah, I mean, like I'm a huge AOA sealed defender. I think it's I think it is the best sealed set. Like I, I'm not even Ooh. not even um, not even Dark Tidings. I think AOA is the best sealed set. Oh, that's I funny. would have to agree with you on that one. It's the one but, where like your sass is almost an irrelevant factor. Yeah, I entirely. Mean, I, that quality doesn't matter. I went I went to a store championship and it was it's survivor and i open it was i think the deck is a is a 52 sas deck and i went <laughs> seven and oh with a 52 sas deck like wow. how is that like that's just because it's set in set it works so well right. like, it makes no difference yeah it's a such a refined sealed experience and like sealed environment where like it's really just 
the ability to sort of be cognizant of what's in the format mm-hmm. and as well as like play into it at first sealed is really good. It's just, it's just good. And I think another thing that I've been seeing talked about a lot recently is that in Unfathomable in Woe, there are a lot of cards that people are talking about that they don't even remember or never knew those cards existed in Dark Tidings. Like yeah. some of the craziest things that are coming out in Woe right now, um, like Illusions of Grandeur is one that people are talking about with all of the um, control that Unfathomable mm-hmm. is, is basically like replacing Dis in that way. And then- Very much, yeah. Um, what's another one of my favorites uh corrode actually so that is one of the few artifact controls in winds of exchange there's there's actually so little artifact control that like corrode is one of my my favorites in general let alone in the house that has so much control never mind that it it literally has like the the utility the fact that you can get rid of a creature with armor and even more importantly and i think this will become very important as we move forward is the fact you can destroy an upgrade Yes. Because FOF, FOF transponder is going to be just like on certain combo decks are going to exist with that card that are going to wreck. Because you cannot, unless you can lift, you are not getting rid of that or purge. That is going to be a consistent issue with token generation, especially when the prospector um, draw thing just starts going off. And that card is going to provide the utility to get rid of that. And so, well, F- and that, go ahead. I was going to say, oh, on top of that, like, I mean, some of the, like, some of the, like a bubbles as a common. Yep. Right. It's just really good. Like uh, bubbles is is really good value. Popping mm-hmm. things back to hand or maelstrom move, putting it or adult swim putting them on top of your deck. Those things making it so that your your cards are not able to be destroyed because even like in in Brobnar with the uh the band in woe and when um if some if one of the Brobnars I forget which one is destroyed like all uh it readies and enrages all the others or if a Get different hammer, one is, yeah. Yeah. yeah and when a different one is destroyed they go back to your hand like the fact that unfathomable has so many ways to throw things back to your hand but also had that in dark tidings so you have the benefit of all of the other things in dark tidings in woe but you you were able to put together a a more um i don't know i think unfathomable was quite a succinct house in dark tidings yeah it's I just think uh, some cards that are not great. That's what it is. That's what it comes to. It's thrown in some cards yeah. that are not flashy by any means. And so you look at it and they're very vanilla, but there's the nuances of everything else. And you, if you think of it just as a body on the board, sometimes it's actually quite strong in the way it presents itself. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the cards that really, um, I'm really sad to see not in woe because it has tied, contr- tied relations is Rakuzel's Chant. Mm. Which is a card that I think is super high value in dark t- dark tidings and fathomable lists, but they because uh, it's it's play if the tide is not if the tide is neutral or low you exhaust one creature if the tide is high it's exhaust all in, all creatures oh. and like against like mm floods whoa now specifically with all the t- token spam it's really high value and just like I'm sad not to see it but it's because it's a really fun card um, but no dark tidings is really really fun set unfathomable is a really fun house. Agreed. Have you played with a lot of Whirlpool? Have you like had a lot of practice with or against it? I have had, I think, a decent amount of exposure to Whirlpool thanks to Quickdraw, specifically. Oh, yeah. Quickdraw 3457 of Sloppy Lab Work is a, the biggest Whirlpool fan I've ever met. I think I ever <laughs> will meet. They have an entire like card catalog drawer of just Whirlpool decks. Oh, that's cool. But um, I'd only opened one, I think, in my Dark Tidings. I think I had like 50-something Dark Tidings. Um 
but and I actually recently opened a Woe Whirlpool that I'm very excited to sort of test and play because it, it it looks like it has some really cool things going on. Um, but yeah, Whirlpools is is a card that creates the wonkiest of game states. Oh, totally. I guess if you want to have a crazy Keyforge game, bring a Whirlpool deck because things are going to get whack. So if you had to like sum up Dark Tidings as your favorite set, if you had to sum it up in like a, a sales pitch to to either new players or people that um, haven't gotten into it and played a lot of it, what what would your your summarization be? Um, that's a great question. Well, I think Dark Tidings is a set that really rewards play and playing it. It is a set that I think personally, I think by far rewards play just reps with the decks really highly. It is allows you to really experiment with different lines in the decks and really allows you to think very very purposely about what you're doing with the deck in any given game in a way that I think really in a way that I think is very satisfying if you enjoy sort of a bit more if you enjoy putting in a little bit more work to get really big rewards dark setting is that set because there i know there are people where you know just counting cards is not for them they don't want to just you know like they really enjoy the thinking about proper orderings sure and sort of being asked to to do a little bit more work and i think dark settings really is that set it is that set and i think it's um if you're enjoying it's if you're someone who enjoys non-Archon Solo game experiences, like Adaptive, or not Reversal, um, <laughs> Reversal's fine too, but if you enjoy like Adaptive, some of the fan formats like Moirai or anything like that, Dark Tidings really, really shines in environments like that. And anywhere you do deck swapping, it really shines. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I like the way you said that. I mean, it's it has the... If you like discovery, it's going to allow you to have the most moments of discovery as you keep playing over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so speaking of rewards, we have one more name deck to give away. And I have that name right here. So the deck we are giving away is the future self of the fiefdom. And I didn't do this last time, but just to uh, raise suspense, this is a Sanctum Mars Unfathomable deck and the winner is Zachary Jaquez. So so thank you so much Zachary for entering our giveaway. Um Sydney I I, I know he's from Quebec. I believe that's Jacques. <laughs> but, well, but thank you for that. That was a valiant effort. <laughs> I I am not I am non-native Canadian, so my my <laughs> my skill at the beauty of the the names from the north are are not as good as yours. <laughs> All right. Well, of course, uh, we cannot end an episode without our titular segment. We call this one Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. Sydney, I understand hot off of a top four finish at Gen Con, you have some lessons for your future self you would like to impart to our listeners. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I have been playing with the same deck from Alliance for over a hundred games now. I have been practicing on TCO, playing it in person. I played the same deck at Philly, the Vault Tour, as I did at Gen Con. And since coming home from Gen Con, I 
learned something new about it. So I think we were we were talking about reps earlier, but the the fact that I could still learn something new about this deck and about Keyforge in general, just it it blew my mind. So, and this is another just like side note, smaller help from future self. Don't like do play enough games in person where TCO isn't doing things for you because apparently TCO has been doing this correctly for me the whole time and I had no idea. Key cheats that forge a key during your turn interdimensional graft works during the key cheats forged during your turn. So I'm going to read the actual wording of interdimensional graft so that I can like spell this out for, for all of you. Um, it reads, if an opponent forges a key on their next turn, they must give you their remaining amber. So if you play interdimensional graft and on your opponent's next turn, they key cheat halfway through their turn with three amber in their pool, that amber comes to you. They continue their turn. They forge a second time because you're playing an alliance against a Martian Generosity key abduction deck. You get the amber in their pool. Like, I just, it blew my mind. And what's really funny is, yes, I'm the one playing the Martian Generosity key abduction deck and it has a Chota in there too. Not only do I need to be cognizant of it when it's on the other side, but I have Brig in my deck. I have Binate Rupture, Interdimensional Graft. So I would usually play to playing Binate, playing Interdimensional Graft so that their doubled amber above the key cost comes to me. But then where I learned this is the fact that somebody had, I think it was, it was a key cheat that cheated without Amber. So it was, I was either um, key abduction or it might have been might makes right. I forget which key cheat it was, but then their Amber went from something to nothing. And I just randomly noticed that in TCO. I just, I was just simply looking at the right place at the right time on my screen and TCO and their Amber went to nothing. And it, I, I then did some research and uh, I, I learned I learned my lesson. So hopefully, That's super cool. hopefully I haven't been doing this wrong in person because I had no idea that this was a thing. And now that I know, I'm going to be paying even more attention. That's really yeah. cool. This is actually a, a fun linking it to the Kruzusir Judge um, deck I mentioned earlier because it loves to cheat keys. It yes. cheats keys with Data Forge, Key Frog, Data Forge and Key Frog. And this is something that um, I have had people do to me where they will play interdimensional graft in anticipation of a large turn from judge to try mm -hmm. and just like to stop that. So it's like, it really is, can be a bit of a game of like chick of a cat and mouse killer. of like, yeah, because like judge loves to sit at no Amber and then cheat keys. Right. And so like, they don't get a turn to graft necessarily like conventionally. Totally. So like it my is, my deck will have a Martian Generosity key abduction key cheat. And then if I'm playing out of Logos because I have so many so much house cheating, I then go for a full moon Chota key cheat. But if they've played interdimensional graft after my key abduction, I don't have any amber to go off of. So it's really, it's much harder to get all the way up to seven if I'm key cheating then. So like, oh, just, I loved, I so loved learning graft that graft is a lesson. more high value alliance card than uh, people may have been thinking about before. Absolutely. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I because key cheats are I in my opinion kind of mandatory in most alliance lists. Yeah. And it's just like because you can interact it's like one of the few ways in Keyforge you can interact with your opponent on their turn. Totally. Then I think graft is is definitely high value. Yeah. 
All right. I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, Murph, if people wanted to reach out to you and uh, get involved in the Kagi League or just pick your brain on why Dark Tidings is the best, or maybe they want to have a robust discussion with you of why they feel differently, uh, what is the best <laughs> way they can do that? Yeah, so you can find me on Discord. It's usually, you know, I'm somewhere in the more in the more recent chats, but I'm on Discord at, at Murph117. They've done away with the numbers, so now I'm just Murph117. The Kagi League is in hashtag Kagi, the hashtag Kagi channel on the Sanctimonious Discord. You can find me over on Fudgenator on Twitch, so twitch.tv forward slash Fudgenator, and on YouTube at twitch.com forward slash uh, at Fudgenator117. So you can find me there. And yeah, I mean, if you want to come into my stream, happy to have a chat uh, about Dark Tidings. I'm often playing it if we're in a, if I'm playing competitive games, which most of my game, most of my content is. I typically focus on competitive gameplay and strategy discussions. And yeah, I think um, if I'm always happy to chat, you can always DM me on Discord. If you do, if you want to join Kagi, just reach out to me. You don't need, like, you know, I can direct you to the right places. It's a really, really fun league. And we're going into Top Cut. This week on Wednesday, on, on we're, in, we're in our first week of the Top Cut, and you know I think if you're interested in in catching the finals, Zoc of Dataforge Stream will be streaming it live on Twitch. So keep an eye out for that, and uh, yeah, I hopefully see whoever's listening on, in my next stream. Amazing, Sydney. Where can people find you? I am SC Steel on Discord and TCO, and I just wanted to say that the amount of alliance conversations that I've been having with some of our listeners, I am absolutely floored with how excited people have, even if even if they're secretly excited and not announcing anywhere that they're trying out alliance builds. Like it's been so much fun to talk to all of you and play all of you on uh, TCO, and so just keep it coming, keep it coming. Amazing. Um, that is fantastic. I, I love that alliance is picking up. I I love brewing. I think I flooded the chat with you sydney this week with brew after <laughs> brew um yeah you can find me on my youtube or hit me up on the discord it's boulevard blake they've also made me get rid of my numbers which i love so i'm a little <laughs> bit sad but um you can find me at blvd blake same with my youtube and um as always folks thank you so much for listening to us and supporting us and contributing in our discord uh thank you to all the ama questions that came in there's a great pool for us to choose from i definitely don't think we're gonna be able to get through them all based on uh the amount we've now received but uh we will do our best to to do so and um you know what folks until next time stay forging (laughs) 